It is Tuesday, and that means we get a chance to have a visit with a good friend of ours that's going to be on the air in just a second, and that is the one, the only, Dr. History. Good morning. Good morning, Zeb. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Well, I'm just glad the wind's not blowing like it was yesterday. You know, i got to tell you something. Uh, I just thank the good Lord above that uh, it wasn't any worse than what it was. I know a lot of people suffered uh, home damage. I know a lot of people had trees uprooted. I know a lot of people had roofs damaged. I know that uh, unbelievable the way uh, one of my shorter haystacks just seems like it took a whirlwind and tipped that thing and tore it all apart. Well, like I say, it uh, it was bad. I know there were semis tipped over, and yeah, there was a lot of damage done yesterday. Absolutely. Well, you got through it, and I, I got through it, <laughs> and uh, most of our listeners did. But uh, what is on your plate this morning to tell us about? Well, I've got an excerpt from a book by a guy who spent about 20 years among the Indians. Okay. And so I'm just going to uh, talk about some of his observations among the Indians and, uh, uh, you know, just kind of go, go through there. Okay? okay, you go ahead. You have the floor. All right. Well, you know, whatever may be said of the Indians, uh, you know, whether they were fighting their own people or fighting the white man, you can't dispute that they were pretty much courageous. They were some brave guys. And from his first contact with the whites until the last roundup on the reservations, they proved themselves to be born warriors, born fighters, and like I say, for the most part, they were very brave. And they usually hesitated to attack until he was sure that he had the advantage. But that only proved that he was also shrewd or smart as a brave. Uh, I mean, the white men had the best of modern weapons, while the Indians, for the most part, still depended on the old bow and arrow or an old rusty gun or a pistol that didn't have much ammunition. So, mm-hmm. But when fighting with other Indians on equal terms as to uh, the equipments of war, uh, those that had the greatest courage, you know, uh, they won. So You know, they never did, and none of the tribes in history, and correct me if I'm wrong, but none of the tribes ever fought for second place. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Uh, you were either dead or you were number one. There you go. So, but, you know, fighting was as natural to the Indians as hunting. Mm-hmm. They were fighting among themselves before the white man came, after he came. And so they had traditions of warfare that went back hundreds of years uh, with each other as well as, of course, with the white men when they came. Uh, and when fighting among themselves, they had some kind of rude military codes and regulations. They held war councils, and they planned campaigns or raids. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so they, they didn't just go into a blind. They had some plans. But it was not often that one Indian tribe surprised another because the Indians instinctively feared an enemy on every side, and they were always on the alert. They had guards out, uh, and before going on the warpath, a lot of them worked themselves into uh, kind of a frenzy. They'd get into their uh, so-called war dance, painted their face and their bodies, uh, you know, the war hoops, uh, the old people and the young people, they kind of cheered them on and uh, eagerly awaited their return with... Uh, goods or captives or both. A lot of people have told me they've seen you doing the same thing outside your office on normal. (laughs) I only do that on really, really difficult pages. I see, I see. (laughs) But when the war party returned, uh, its approach was announced by scouts, and the result of the adventure was related. Now, if the expedition had met with disaster, uh, the names of the dead or captured were made known, and the women indulged in some 
pretty bad wailings and other signs of grief. Mm-hmm. Um, now, unless they were thoroughly crushed, the returning party did not admit defeat. But they uh, had shouts of triumph. They brandished their weapons and their waving scalps or other trophies they might have taken. Um, an imitation of the warlike scene was reenacted, and the exploits of the braves were rehearsed. Uh, if successful, the captives were sometimes spared and adopted into, into the tribe. Now, a captive man was rarely permitted to uh, accompany a war party against their own people, for obvious reasons. Right. I mean, the warriors fearing that this guy, you know, going against his own tribe, he's going to obviously try to escape and rejoin his tribe. So they, they wouldn't let him go against his own, but he would be part of their tribe, basically. So now when they were condemned to torture and death, uh, the sufferings of these captives were pretty bad. Uh, I mean, they had some pretty severe methods of tormenting these people, and uh, kind of strangely, the women were kind of some of the worst as far as inflicting these tortures. And, of course, if the victim uh, manifested a indication of weakness or cowardice, he was, uh, he was really treated badly. And a lot of times his suffering was prolonged and multiplied. Now, if on the other side, he was brave and bore his torture, you know, pretty well, uh, he, uh, which they mostly did. Uh, it got the admiration of the tormentors and, and the tribe, and, and generally uh, his bravery was rewarded by them putting an end to his sufferings a little quicker. Mm-hmm. So, but when the Indian first encountered white man's guns, uh, they were kind of they thought it was kind of a superstitious thing. Uh, they didn't know what to make of this, uh, what they called artificial thunder and lightning. And anyway, the civilization advanced to the West. Uh, they gradually, you know, got their own guns and became more more or less proficient in their use, but really not very very good. But they would get them from different traders that came through. Now, next to taking the scalp of an enemy, the highest thing that an Indian could do uh, was his success in stealing horses. Now, when the merits of a brave were uh, recounted by others, his, uh, how good he was as a thief was considered by his tribe as almost as well as his exploits in battle. Really? And there was, for the Indian, a double incentive for stealing a horse. Number one, it gained for him the admiration and the wealth uh, at the same time. But the more horses he had, the richer he was, and the more influential he was with his people. Mm -hmm. So a brave warrior also had a bunch of horses. So, but the North American Indian was not noted for his inventiveness. They were pretty much satisfied to just kind of exist the way they had for hundreds of years. But there were several things that they invented. Uh, that they were pretty ingenious in inventing that really never changed much. And that was the canoe, the moccasin, the snowshoe, the teepee, and the bow and arrow. Got a question for you. And I've often wondered this. The moccasin. Okay, now that is not the warmest footwear you could ever wear. Did they have, the Indians in the old days, did they have like uh, some kind of a stocking or something they put over their foot? I mean, my goodness, you'd freeze your feet off. Well, you know, if you recall looking at some of the moccasins uh, in the wintertime, those moccasins were more like, uh, I don't know, I'd call it like a muckluck. Yeah. You know, they came up onto the calf, and, and I believe they had uh, some type of fur on the inside as well. Okay, all right. But, uh, you know, uh, and, and I'll talk about that here in just a minute, but the Indians, you know, they roamed all over the country, and they used the rivers and the lakes uh, to get around, and so the old birch bark canoe was the best thing for getting around. Uh, 
I mean, it was strong. It could carry a lot of things uh, over lakes and streams. It was lightweight. So if they came through a falls or something, they could just portage around the falls because it was pretty lightweight. And it was generally used uh, in the north and the northwest. Now, in the western plains, there were no birch trees. So they used these boats they called bull boats. Mm -hmm. And those were basically like a big tub uh, that was uh, shaped over some uh, uh, willows, and a hide was uh, uh, stretched, a green hide was stretched over it. And then when it dried, it it was a bull boat, and they they looked very awkward. Mm -hmm. Um, But they would actually uh, leave the tail of the buffalo hide on, and they would uh, actually tie three or four of them together, and sometimes they would use a horse to pull four or five or six of them across the river with their uh, women and children and goods in them. Well, now, wait a minute. Go back to the canoe for a minute, though. Okay. One can always say that maybe that wasn't the greatest invention ever that we got from the Indians, because have you ever tried to take care of one of those by yourself without tipping it over? <laughs> I, actually, you're exactly right. Uh, one of those canoes, I mean, uh, you just jump in one of those canoes that's not uh, fiberglass and, and gotten from Cabela's. Uh, yeah, they're they're pretty tippy. Oh, uh, my. So, you know, the Indians, they got uh, pretty skilled at uh, taking care of those canoes. And the nice thing about the birch bark is if they were damaged, they were easy to repair because the uh, there was plenty of bark around. And they could actually carry sometimes several tons of freight besides paddlers and passengers. And they were used, uh, of course, we know by the fur companies, the traders, the hunters, pioneers. So, uh, obviously, they had to learn how to take care of a canoe as well. Absolutely. So, but the bull boat and the canoe, they were used extensively throughout uh, throughout the Indian tribes. Mm-hmm. And, again, the moccasin I mentioned, you know, it was made of tanned deer skin and sewn with the sinews of the animals, and they'd use, a, like, a awl or a, a sharp or bone or something sharp to, to make the holes. Um, but if you think about it, in the summertime, a moccasin was elastic. It was soft. And uh, but it protected their feet, but they could still climb, you know, mountains and hills, and uh, and it, again, it was easy to make and easily mended. Okay. So in the summertime, it wasn't too bad. Now, getting to the wintertime, um, move ahead. The snowshoe. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Now, it was a necessity for Indians in the Northwest, obviously, because they had to travel through deep snow to hunt game. But I don't know if you've ever tried snowshoes, Zeb, but... uh, Let me ask you a question. How many guys on crutches have you seen walking on snowshoes? (laughs) That's, uh, you know, that's why I threw that out there. (laughs) But I have tried them, and uh, these Indians could actually run with snowshoes on. Now, I found it difficult just to walk uh, with snowshoes on. That'd be like a cow trying, never mind. (laughs) Yeah, so snowshoes, but they were very adept at running and, uh, you know, again, hunting, you know, in the wintertime in deep snow. Wow. And really, you think about the snowshoes of today, they're really not much different than what they had years and years ago. Okay. 
Anyway, uh, now, uh, sometimes uh, people have a picture in their mind of uh, the Stone War Club as a weapon. And basically, the only time a stone uh, uh, club would be any good is if your enemy was laying on the ground in front of you. So the clubs were, they were common in Indian camps, but they weren't used in warfare. They were used to uh, uh, pound stakes in the ground and stuff like that. Now, uh, it is true, however, that after a battle, sometimes the women would uh, take one of those uh, stone clubs and, and gently tap the heads of the enemy. Gently uh, tap the heads of the yeah, enemy. Just mm-hmm. to kind of finish them off, I guess. If I you see. Say that. Okay. All right. So now some of the men actually started carrying a uh, peculiar-looking club that uh, had, like, uh, nails in it or a long spike in it. Oh, but my. again, this was a club that they did not use in battle. What was it for? It was so close. So they carried these mostly for ceremonial occasions just to show uh, so they really weren't used that much now and then of course we get to the tomahawk uh, once guns came into play the tomahawk really wasn't used that much in warfare um, it kind of kind of went by the wayside but now if by chance an indian met another in hand-to-hand combat uh, the weapon of choice was the knife mm. now so if you had two indians that were fighting it was with knives and they were they were the bloodiest. They would stab and slash each other, and usually, usually one died, if not both. And in fact, there was one case where this fellow that is telling the story says that uh, these two guys were fighting. They both died. He said he counted in, in one had eight stabs and twenty-one slashes. Oh. The other one had eight stabs and fourteen slashes. Wow! And they were both dead. You know the so. thing is, uh, right there. You you hear so much about today with all the bacteria and everything and the uh, infections. Uh, really, you don't hear too much about stories about people getting infections or staph infections in the old west. Well, why not? Well, you know, we've talked about the medicine in the Old West yeah. with the Indians, and they had uh, various things to treat burns and cuts and wounds uh, and some of the things we don't even know about today. Well, did they, with their medicine men and everything, if they had a tr- uh, uh, one of the braves get cut in battle, uh, did they know that uh, how to stitch things up and sew things up? They were very good at that. Uh, now, I don't know about stitching, but I know that they... Uh, they used various things to prevent infection. I see. Better than, in some cases, better than we did uh, as the white men. Hmm. So, but, and again, one of the most important things that they carried, both men and women, was a knife. And the knife was inseparable. I mean, that was what they used for slaughtering animals, scalping their enemies, general purposes. And, you know, knives were, they were kept sharp. Uh, they usually had the handles that were uh, decorated very nicely. Um, and, uh, in the early days, they you know the metal was difficult to find, but yeah. the white traders they'd come by and and the Indians were able to get uh, get metal and make make their own knives. I but, wish I could get a blade on a knife like they did back in the old oh, days, and they yeah. didn't have any of the fancy stuff to use. No, they didn't. But, but you can imagine, uh, and I don't know exactly how they did it. But they kept their knives very very well, uh, you know, sharpened and right. But now another thing they used uh, was a lance, and this was used pretty effectively in battle. 
because you know it was something they could throw. It was something they didn't have to get real close to the enemy with. And here again, they got iron or steel from white traders. Right. So right. now there's an old tradition that is kind of a false tradition that uh, this guy talks about. He says it's claimed that uh, some of the Indians used poisoned arrows. Now, it's, uh, this is something that, you know, according to this guy anyway, that's kind of a false notion because, number one, if you try to get the poison or the venom from a rattlesnake, uh, you may end up uh, on the deadly end of that. Mm. And so if they ever did use poisoned arrows, uh, it must have been pretty rare. Now, we have, of course, I've got to jump in here and say this, we've seen Western movies that have shown, uh, you know, various Indian attacks, and, and the soldier gets an arrow in the arm, and all of a sudden it's a poison arrow, and boop, he's gone, you know, that yeah. type of thing. So where did that rumor get started? Well, it, it did happen on rare, rare occasions, according to this author. I see. So, but, you know, again, you watch Hollywood and TV, and, and it sounds like they were doing it all the time. Well, what kind of poison did they use? Well, he talks about rattlesnake poison, uh -huh. uh, or you know, but uh, I'm, I suppose there's maybe other things that they could have used uh, that could have caused infection. Oh, huh, okay. So, but and then we get to the bow and arrow. You know, this was a work of art. I mean... Uh, uh, the shaft of the arrow usually varied in length depending on the tribe. And that's why sometimes some of these scouts, like Jim Bridger and these guys, they could come upon a, a massacre and they could say, well, this was the Apaches or this was the Comanches yeah. or, or whatever, be, depending on what the arrows were. I see. But the end of uh, where the feathers were, that could be anywhere from two to three inches long to as much as a foot long. And I didn't realize that they would put feathers that long on an arrow. you got to admit that right there, and I know we're running out of time, but you have to admire the mental ingenuity of anybody in years gone by that would sit down and they just decided how to make fire, and then all of a sudden, Muck Luck looks at uh, Bad Luck and he says, let's make an arrow. I mean, they didn't know what an arrow was. How did right. they figure that out? Well, and to get it to fly straight and true, yeah, you know, and, and how did they figure out, okay, let's put some feathers on here to make it fly straighter now uh, and another thing is when uh, an arrow went into you uh, you had uh, a couple of choices here oh good uh, either to push it right on through uh -huh. or try to pull it out which with the barbs on there that wasn't a good thing to try to do and I thought my sciatic nerve hurt <laughs> oh yeah well and then the other thing is uh, you know the arrowhead was held in place by sinew and if it stayed in there very long, that, that softened, and so you could pull the shaft out, uh -huh. but the arrowhead would stay inside of you. Oh, how nice. Which it did with uh, Jim Bridger. I see. In, in fact, Jim had uh, an arrowhead in his back for, oh, several years mm -hmm. uh, until, I can't remember who it was. One of, uh, he went to a rendezvous sometime, and there was a doctor there that cut it out of him. Oh, so. my goodness. And I'm sure it was a gentle, anesthetized operation. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure what they used for... Uh, anesthetizing, but, but I'm sure he drank a little of that. Yeah. <laughs> but again, you know, the bow uh, of the bow and arrow was uh, amazing. It was made out of hickory or willow or mesquite, and 
they were very strong. Yeah, but there again, to make them stronger. There again, though, Doc, you got to admit that we could go on and on about this, and I wish we had more time. But you got to admit that where did the idea, the right. thought, the light bulb go on in somebody's mind two, three, four hundred years ago to invent a bow and an arrow? Come on, now. I mean, yeah. that that's really amazing. Yeah, it really is. And then, uh, according to this author, uh, for you and I to try to pull a bow back, pull the pull the string back. You and I might get an inch, maybe two inches. The Indian would pull it back a foot or a foot and a half. Wow. So these were strong bows with, uh, you know, they were, the bowstring was, was really strong. It was uh, made of, of, again, with sinew. And uh, the Indian also protected his wrist. Uh, and this is something I wondered about, too, because I don't think you ever see this in TV, but uh, they had a, a wrist band, a leather band, so that if the, uh, the, the bowstring hit their arm, it didn't rip their arm apart. Oh, man, and that's what I do all the time. <laughs> yeah. And now another thing is they weren't very good with, with firearms because they didn't practice. Okay, we got they a minute left. Because, uh, uh, you know, so they weren't very good. Um, I know we're getting out of time here, but... Uh, the one thing, uh, the Indians, uh, they used to practice battles, uh, but it was kind of a, you know, sham battle where they would ride around, yell, and, and do all this, and, and it was more, more just for entertainment. Oh, really? Anything. But these Indians were amazing on horses. You know, they could take a, a horse, and all they had was a lariat attached to the bottom jaw yeah. of, of the horse but they could make that horse just uh, do anything they wanted they could jump on and off the horse they always got on the right side or what we refer to as the off side or the indian side yeah the indian side yeah yeah so and of course in battle of course they could get on either side jump off and on as, as, as easily as you want to but they were experts also and i didn't know this either but they were experts with a rope with a lasso I didn't know too much about... I, I did know of one tribe, I think it was in the southwest, I want to say the Comanches, I think were very adept at roping, but I'm not sure that's the right tribe. Yeah, well, I'm not sure either, but they could catch an animal around the leg, the neck, or, yeah. you know, any part, and they were good at it. And actually, the men and, and the women were pretty good experts at throwing a rope, throwing oh. a lasso. You know, I'm going to have to stop you. I hate to. Right. Uh, so I'm done. I just finished. Well, we, <laughs> I'd really like to do some more on this, because it's very interesting. Interesting, and it just amazes me as to how somebody sat down one time at a fire and said, uh, "Okay, there, Tonto, we're going to invent a bow and arrow," and they went yeah. and did it. That's amazing. Listen, Doctor History, better known as Doctor Ken Turner. Thank you. God bless you. I'm running late. I got to hurry, right. but thank you, and we'll look forward to next week. And I'm sure you've already got next week ready. I may have. Aha! Uh -huh. <laughs> you have a good day. Zach. All right. See you later, buddy. Okay, thank you. Bye.